Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Bible reading today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. If you haven't got a Bible, there's baskets in the aisles with Bibles in them. If you don't have a Bible at all, that's yours to keep. We invite you to take it with you. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Praise God. Thanks, uh, Rowan. Appreciate that. Thank you. Worship band, and good morning, everyone. Great to see everyone here today. Glad <clears throat> we all made it on this um, uh, Daylight Savings Day. And go the Tigers. Who was going for the Tigers yesterday? Anyone be down to Richmond, see the chaos in the, in the streets there after the win? Did anyone read the report of the vacant seat in the member stand, front and centre? Anyone see that in the, uh, the Age or the Herald Sun this morning? <clears throat> Quite interesting story, and it ties in with my message. Unlike some of Dave's uh, opening stories, um, this one actually ties in. <clears throat> Where's Pastor Dave? Uh, um, the story goes that, um, you know, there's a guy, Tigers fan, he's got the, the seat right up in the, uh, in the balcony area, and, you know, you might as well watch it on the TV because the screens are, are so... You're so far away from the action... And he, he sees, he's got his binoculars and he's looking from the grandstand and he sees this vacant seat. It's come into the, the, the beginning of the, fir- the second quarter and he's observed, he's had his eye on this seat the, the entirety of the first quarter and noticed it was vacant. No one sat there, there's no movement and he saw a Tigers fan next to that vacant seat. So he thought, well, I'm a Tigers fan, there's a, a vacant seat, maybe I can get away from the big balcony and move down close and what, what a great thing right up there front and centre. So before halftime, uh, end of the first quarter, he goes down there and he sees the gentleman and he says, um, listen, uh, I've noticed that there's this vacant seat. Uh, do you mind if I come down and, uh, and, and, you know, occupy it? And the gentleman says, uh, yeah, well, it is an empty seat. And he says, fantastic, that, this, this is incredible. Um, I mean, grand final day, Tigers, we've been waiting 37 years for this. Who in their right mind would not come to the footy on grand final day? Uh, Who wouldn't use this seat? 
The same person that he's speaking to pauses and he says, well, in fact, the seat's mine. He says, oh. He says, it belongs to me. He said, I was supposed to come today with my wife, but she passed away. She was a massive Tigers fan. And the man, he thinks, gee, that's, that's tough. He says, my condolences to you, sir. I'm very sorry to hear of your loss. He says, can I ask, you know, why didn't you give the seat to a friend or, or to a relative? He replied, I would have, but they're all at the funeral. <laughs> um, today, you would have seen in our text, our text really deals with two things. Death and the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And the component in our text really has to do with the, the, the encouragement that the Apostle Paul was wanting to bring to this new church, this baby church in Thessalonica, as it related to death and as it related to the Lord's return. It's my attempt this morning, it is my prayer this morning, that I would be able to communicate encouragement to us as the church, encouragement as it relates to death, and encouragement to awaken our soul as it relates to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Let's hope he returns today. Can I tell you that he may? Wouldn't that be a great thing if he got to finish the message for us? Let me just pray. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts. May your word sit Supreme, may your Holy Spirit speak, touch, change, be glorified. Not me, Lord, but you in all that takes place today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way, haven't we, through the book of First Thessalonians. And a reminder that Paul, if you want to follow, I guess, the movements of the, the Apostle Paul here in this Greek city, Thessalonica, it's found in, the cross-reference is the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, we see that the Apostle Paul probably only ministered there, as it's stated in Scripture, on three Sabbaths. So he was there for about three weeks, perhaps a month. He was then, by the Spirit, by circumstances, moved from that place, and he went on into Corinth. So in that short period of time that he ministered there, as he did, customarily uh, on the Sabbath day, a small group of, of believers gathered. They heard his word. Some believed uh, and were converted and committed to the cause. Others just heard the message and moved on. But here's this church that's gathering. He wants to see how they're going, so he sends Timothy back to see how the church is going. Now, a little bit of background perhaps for our text and as it relates to what is happening in this city uh, of Thessalonica. Again, it's a city in Greece, and it's not far from Mount Olympus. Um, on a clear day, you can see Mount Olympus, and a part of Mount Olympus and Greek um, mythology and Greek customs and belief and culture, uh, th their belief system was very dark, deep darkness, particularly as it related to the afterlife. They believed that those who died and passed on from this world um, would go to a place called Hades and two components of it. But 
they would often have, uh, historians tell us, and Greek philosophy tells us, on the tombstones there in Greece, of those that died uh, of this time and this era, they would have t- uh, words on the tombstones written like this. Hope is for the living, not for the dead. In fact, it was said that on many tombstones there was written these words, no hope. That was on the tombstones of those that had departed and moved on. And so here it is, here are believers that are coming to Christ. They're surrounded by this dark culture that believed that there was absolutely no hope beyond the grave. And they're wanting to ask the Apostle Paul, what does God say? What does uh, the Lord, the King of Kings, what is his view as it relates to the afterlife and death? You see... The Greeks, again, at death, they believed that you went to Hades, this unseen place of torment. They would say that you passed through a river called Styx, S-T-Y-X, and you were escorted either into um, uh, Esalem, pronounced something like that, meaning beautiful field, or Tartius, which is the place of torment and darkness. Again, the whole cultural setting here was very dark, it was very negative, and they had a very fearful view as it related to death. The Apostle Paul spoke that Jesus died and he rose from the dead, and when he spoke to them on those three Sabbaths, he said, this is the same Jesus that I speak to you about. He's alive and he's coming back. But what's happening in this church thus the passage that Rowan read for us, verse 13 to 18, we see that the Apostle Paul is wanting to answer questions to the church as it relates to death for the believer and the Lord's return. He's wanting to encourage them. He's wanting to help them in their confusion. He's wanting to encourage them in the faith. Death for the Christian is not final. Jesus is coming back. You know, Jesus and his return is one of the most spoken of components, certainly of the New Testament. Over 260 chapters in the New Testament, and there are over 315 references to the second coming of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. One in 25 verses are devoted to the truth, to the encouragement that Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. What an encouragement. Can I ask us today, can I ask you today personally, are you ready? Are you expectant? Are you excited about the coming of the Lord? Chapter 1 of Thessalonians, he mentions it, he says that there should be an eager um, looking in our hearts for his return. Chapter 2, that's one, chapter 1, verse 10. In chapter 2, verse 19, he said that the second coming of the Lord, our, this hope of his return, should motivate us towards soul winning. Chapter 3, verse 13, the apostle Paul to the Thessalonica, uh, church in Thessalonica. <laughs> Got that Aussie tongue. Uh, he, he writes to them and he says, it should encourage us towards holy living. 
And in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, the second coming should be a comfort for us in sorrow. And in chapter 5, it encourages us to and stirs us to live for him. Reminds me of the other uh, gentleman who had just taken over the pulpit from a pastor who had ministered for some time and he thought he'd better be dramatic and make impact with his first message and he got behind the pulpit and he hit the pulpit and he said, behold, I come quickly. And then, then he forgot the rest of the sermon. <laughs> he paused for a moment and then he hit the pulpit again thinking that might trigger the rest of the message that he had prepared so hard for. He said, behold, I come quickly. The words of the Lord Jesus. Did Dave share this last week? Is that the same illustration? Uh, we'll, we'll move on. Sorry about, sorry about that. No, I'm joking. It's not the same one. And, and for the third time, he forgot the sermon. He thumps the pulpit, but this time he thumped it so hard it, it actually broke. And he fell down into the, into the pews and landed on an elderly gentleman in the front row. He was 92 years of age. And he said, what a fool I've been. I'm so sorry, mate, that I, that I've fallen on you. And the, uh, the elderly gentleman said, that's okay, you've warned me three times you were coming, so... <laughs> I, 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 over and over and over again, this truth is reiterated in the scripture, Jesus is coming back. And I just wonder today, I know there's a lot of crazy thoughts we've heard, um, there's been books that have been written about it, there's been prophecies and people have pinpointed the date, and all of this craziness that can cause us to think, gee, it's clearly a dangerous doctrine. Let's stay away from it. But can I tell you, it is, to, it is to be an encouragement to the church, the Apostle Paul says to us here, verse 18. It's to motivate us. It is to stir our hearts that we are to live a life that is expectant and ready. It's not to create fear, but a great sense of hope. You know, I think we're wired and we're made... We've been created in a, in a way that looks for something great, that we like to, we like to seek things out. We, this is shown in, in man's uh, uh, exploration and, and study of the cosmos and the universe and all of the explorers. There was a craze, wasn't there, about 12 months ago called Pokemon Go. Oh. July the 20th, 2016, this game, it's called an augmented, an OR, augmented game. Cool. The game utilizes your mobile GPS device and enables you to find, locate, capture, battle, train virtual creatures. It appears on your screen these Pokemon creatures, and you can go and find them. This app was downloaded over 500 million times. Poliwag, Charizard, and Pikachu. I don't know if we've got any of those up there. Chasing a virtual cartoon. I read about two men 
in California who were playing Pokemon Go and they fell off a cliff as they climbed through a fence. One man fell 90 feet and the other 50 feet and they were both taken to hospital with injuries but survived. Another person in Ohio, they went over a fence into a tiger enclosure in search for the game's monsters. And we know in Melbourne... Sadly, a woman died and was hit by a stolen car from a person who had burgled a rental, car rental place in the city while she was crossing Melbourne's main road whilst playing Pokemon. There was another one that I heard of, I don't know if you heard of it, was a man who crashed into a police car whilst playing Pokemon Go. It wasn't my police car, thankfully. People are out there looking for something. Searching. Wouldn't it be great if the church of Jesus Christ every day lived with the expectation for looking for the Lord Jesus? How would it change the way we speak to each other? How would it change the conversation of what we value Pokemon Go. Who would have thought? I remember the Atari system. Anyone remember Atari? Commodore 64? That's my era. I remember growing up as a teenager and, uh, you know, we'd put the Atari cassette in. It'd take 60 minutes for it to <coughs> kind of play through and then hopefully the game actually loaded. <coughs> but my mum, who probably attempted to raise myself and my twin brother and my older brother, three of us. And she taught us an old school game. One of you were taught the same, and this is for all the young ones that are here today. I don't know if you're aware of this game, not Pokemon Go. But the game that I was taught as a young fellow was um, Workamon Go. You taught that? Go out and get a job, young man. <laughs> Often I'll knock on, a, on the door of a person, think no one's home in the middle of the day, and there'll be a young fellow that'll come out in a pair of boxer shorts. Oh, look at the, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, he must be doing night shift. He's in the bedroom, you know, playing World of Warcraft or something, you know. It's two o'clock in the afternoon, man. Work, work him on, go. Okay, we won't, we won't talk about work on go. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? What I'm talking about is a seeking and a searching for the Lord Jesus with, with an intent. We're looking for him to come and we live in light of his return. Let's quickly look at our text and then we'll close. Hallelujah. Since we believe... That Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so, through Jesus. God will bring us with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you from the word of the Lord, we that are alive and who are left to the coming of the Lord will not precede those that have fallen asleep. Verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. Paul says here, we'll just break it down a couple of verses. 
Christians, we don't want you to be uninformed of those that have died. And he uses the metaphor, doesn't he, the picture here of falling asleep. Now, in my job, I get to see dead people regularly. Just about weekly, I deal with dead people. And the reality of this and the reality of passing from this life to the next is something that is real to me, for me, all of the time. And it impacts my heart, I think, sometimes absolutely negatively. But as a Christian, it is something that affects me, I pray, I hope, mostly positively, as it relates particularly to my communication to those closest to me, my wife and my children. And Paul, here in the text, he says, for a Christian person, you must know that death is not the end. This is a church that's struggling. This is a church that is immersed in Greek culture that thinks there is no hope. This is the end. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. You should not sorrow as those without hope. He says, we have hope. Death for the Christian is just a transition. It's a sleep. And how many know with a sleep, unfortunately, you have to wake up like this morning. Sometimes we wish the sleep could go a little bit longer. And he's trying to encourage us as believers. It's just a sleep. I wonder for you today, has there been anyone that you love, somebody that has passed from this life into the next, that you have wept over, that you've mourned over? Can I encourage you today? That by God's grace, they are not gone, they are not lost, they are simply sleeping. And if you are confident that they have turned to the Lord Jesus with all of their heart, you will see them again and it's going to be very, very soon. Hallelujah. Can I also encourage you if you were with somebody and there's a bit of doubt in your soul about their resting place? I think it was John, or perhaps it was Charles Wesley, the great Reformation preachers and speakers, circuit riders. They would go from horseback to horseback, from city to city to preach the gospel. And one of the Wesley brothers said this. He said, from the saddle to the ground, mercy sought, mercy found. It's the picture of these guys that would get around, not in motor car, but on a horse. And it was the belief that, as surely as someone would fall off a saddle and hit the ground and perhaps die on the way down through an injury or breaking their neck whilst on the horse, if they would seek mercy in that instant of falling, they could find the mercy of God. With those believers where we don't know 100%, let's believe that our God is gracious towards them. From the saddle to the ground, mercy sought, mercy found. And Paul says, you know what, there is a sorrow, but we don't sorrow as those without hope. The grave is not the end. Paul says to the church in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your sting? 
And Hades, where is your victory? Read the Phillips version or the, or the message, these paraphrased translations, and they, they highlight, they emphasize. It's, it's, like, it's like Jesus is saying to death, you know, na, 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 na. There's, there's no other way to say it. I can't, I can't translate that for you in Greek. It's, he says, I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. It's a picture of meat. It's this word picture of, of the old days of rubbing salt into meat, working it in, massaging it in, that as we ponder death, that we are to regularly be massaging this eternal hope. It's sorrowful but we don't live with a sense of hopelessness. Amen, church. You know, as, as beautiful as, as, as funeral parlors and homes want to set the scene and as, as beautifully as they can make up and adorn the body of, of, a, of a deceased, when you look at them, you see you, it's something in you, 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 you know they're not there anymore. Their spirit, their soul is gone. The moment we die, we go to be with the Lord. Our body goes into the grave. But good news, church, he is coming back to restore the earth and to take that DNA. He's going to take all those pigments, those little bits. Or what if I get cremated? Where do the little bits go? You know, it's scattered into the Indian Ocean or the Pacific and the shark ate it. Now, a bit of me's in the shark. In the book of Genesis, the Lord created us from the, from the dust of the ground. You've got to have confidence that in his creative ability, he's going to find all those little pieces and put them back together again. You say, why would he do that? I'm going to be in glory. I'm going to be in paradise. Who really cares? Because... The Lord is so good and he's so thorough and full. He's going to complete what he started and he's not going to leave any little bit undone. He's going to restore the earth because Satan, the devil, the enemy is going to get no victory over anything in the earth. He's going to restore you. Hallelujah. He's going to restore you physically. Not because you're going to need this body again. They'll have it in a supernatural form because he's going to make it complete. He's going to complete the work. Church, this is our great God. Encourage yourself with these truths. Many of us know Wayne. I've known Wayne for about 30 years. Wayne and Vidge and his kids. I remember Wayne when he could run, when he could wrestle when he would fix cars. And Wayne's always had this can-do attitude. That's why he's always amening in the church. Wayne's always down the blessed collective. Wayne has always got an encouraging word in every situation. Yeah. Amen? Amen? What a great guy. He encourages my heart so much because he's a man whose body is letting him down. Yet his spirit is so alive. I can't wait till the Lord returns and Wayne gets his legs back. Hallelujah. How good's that going to be? How good's that going to be? 
wine in, in, all of his, in all of his completeness and fullness. I can't wait till I get my heavenly voice back. I certainly can't wait for Pastor Luke to get his heavenly voice back. Um, right? Just think of, you know when you see glimpses of greatness in a person and then we see the earthly stuff? When, when we get there, we are going to be the best we can be. Church, we've got so much to look forward to. You know, you see the young fellas in, in, at the gym or in the shopping centers with their guns out. You can't help, they walk past the mirror and they flex. You see them? Or you see the, the selfies of the Greek photos and you just see the tricep mark and you say, man, that's not natural. You flex for that photo. Don't deny it, mate. You're flexing. Yeah, man, I'm going to get a rope. Rope tat, nice and tight on the guns. Well, how many know as you get older? That tight rope. It becomes a limp noodle. Are you young? Oh, man, I'm going to live forever, man. I don't have to think about that. Us that are older, we know this tent, this body, it's temporal, it's wearing out. And the maturity that should come in us and for us as believers is that we impart something to the younger ones and we live that, guess what? I'm either going or the Lord is coming, but it is happening soon. Amen, church. It's happening soon. In our text... Verses 15 to 17, he goes on and we wrap it up, don't we? He says, For this we declare to you from the word of the, from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those that have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This great scholarly talk about the dead as the Thessalonican, Thessalonian believers would have thought. They were living where they thought Jesus is going to come back, yet some of their family members had passed away. So they thought, well, if Jesus comes back and they've died, they've missed the coming. And Paul teaches them and he says, no, the dead in Christ, they are going to precede those that are alive. And it's the picture of a Roman emperor, common picture in their mind in that time, that as he would come back from battle or conquering, he would come back and they would send a delegation party first to meet that conquering king, that emperor, out in the field as he would ap approach uh, you know, the, the castle or the palace. And they would go out to greet him and then they would all proceed back to the palace together. And here it, it is as though the Apostle Paul says that is a, a biblical picture that the dead in Christ are going to meet the Lord and then we who are alive at the return of Christ, we're going to meet him in the air. Hallelujah. He says, comfort one another with these words. In other words, talk to one another about this event. Jesus said this in John 14. End of chapter 13, I'm going away. 
chapter 14. Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord himself is coming to meet us. Now, many other belief systems, this is what makes Christianity different than every other religion. Every other religion says you're, you're just a drop in the ocean and you return back to the ocean into the larger cosmos body. You, you lose that sense of, of, of individualism, that sense of person. You, you just, you know, evaporate into this large cosmos. Anidanya! That's the Lion King. Um, you know, you, you, you move in out there and you be fertilizer. The Christian belief is so different. Was that Das Vidanya? I don't know. I, I don't know. It's that African song. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> PTSD, I think. Um, <laughs> jokes. The Lord and his return is so different. The Lord himself is coming to meet you. You will be you. You will be fully you. You will be in your glorified state. So when is this going to happen? Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour, but only his Father. So church, can I ask you, when's the last time you spoke? about the Lord's return. I know there was not long ago a Catholic priest, or was in some time ago, he wrote a book stating that the world would come to an end in 1847. The Roman Catholic Church gave him permission to publish it in 1848. (laughs) The Jehovah Witnesses has predicted that the Lord would come in 1874. They changed that to 1940, then it became 1950, then they said 1975, and I'm sure if they keep guessing, they'll get it right eventually. But you know what? We don't need to be guessing. Jesus said no one knows the time, the hour. Uh, and and, and I, I pondered how, how much I would talk about this but I'll leave you with this quote from Dr. Arnold T. Olson as it relates to the Lord's coming. Ever since the first day of the Christian church, evangelicals have been looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. They may have disagreed as to its timing to the events on the eschatological calendar, and they may have differed to the pre-tribulation, post-tribulation rapture, the pre- or post-non-millennial coming. They may have been divided as to the literal rebirth of Israel. However, all are agreed that the final solution to the problems of this world are in the hands of the King of Kings, who will someday make the kingdoms of this world his very own. Amen? We could argue, but I think it's a waste of time, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib, 
Like Pastor Dave, let's all be pan-millennialists. It's all going to pan out in the end. Historians say that the early church, in times of difficulty, in, in times of persecution, they would say this to each other. Maranatha. Maranatha. Can we start saying that perhaps to one another from time to time? In times of difficulty, they would say Maranatha, which means the Lord cometh. Is something getting you down? Is something taking your joy? Is something stealing your hope for eternity? Guess what? Maranatha. This is but a a short period of difficulty, the Apostle Paul says, compared to the eternal glory. Be encouraged in that, brothers and sisters. Amen? The early church weren't looking for a hole in the ground, but a hole in the sky. They weren't looking for the undertaker, they were looking for the uppertaker. If I told you that Jesus was coming in one week, what would you change? Would you reach out to a friend that doesn't know him? Would you ask for forgiveness from somebody that you hurt? What would you do? Let's live like that every day. Jesus is coming, what does it mean? We can be confident of this. He's coming back for his church. We should be working and watching and it should fill us with comfort and with joy. Today, what is your hope? Is it Donald Trump? Or is it King Jesus? Maranatha. Maranatha. Struggling, persecution, difficulties, he's coming back. Anyone have any family in Bali right now? The volcano is about to explode. What would you be telling somebody? that was there, that couldn't get out if the volcano exploded. You'd be reaching out to them saying, don't worry, I'm coming to get you. It's going to be okay. Don't fear, don't worry. That's why this message, the Lord is coming, is spread throughout the entire New Testament. Church going through a difficult time, Maranatha. Close with this. Illustration. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for years. They were returning to New York to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. They discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big-game hunting expeditions. As they travelled on this same ship, no one paid them any attention 
They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the great man. And as the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for God in Africa all these years and to have no one care a thing about us? Here is this man, he comes back from a hunting trip and everybody makes much over him, but no one seems to give two hoots about us. Dear, you shouldn't feel this way, his wife said. He replied, I can't help it, it just doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president, the mayor and other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival, but no one noticed the missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap flat on the east side of town, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. That night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, why don't you go to the bedroom and tell that to the Lord? Short time later, he came out of the bedroom and now his face was completely different. His wife asked, Dear, what happened? The Lord settled it with me, he said. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us when we returned home. And then when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you're not home yet. Amen, let's pray. Lord, may our hearts be encouraged. Thank you. Thank you that we can have a sure word in our hearts. Thank you that we need not sorrow as those without hope. May we today begin to rub, as it were, massage this hope of eternal life, of glory, into all of our difficulties. Lord, it would, be, it would be good if it was just a story. But it is better than that. It's the authority of your word. You died and you rose again. And you said that you are coming again for your church. I pray for those of us that have been perhaps distracted by this world. Caught up in the things only of this world. Help us to lift our eyes to eternity. Lord, your scripture says that you're going to come like a thief in the night when we least expect it. When people are eating and drinking and given in marriage, just like an ordinary day, you're going to come. May we be your church. May we be, may be, may we be a church that is ready. May we lift our eyes today. May we be energized by this truth that you're coming back. You're returning for Lord, I ask it in your name.
just while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, perhaps you're here today and you don't have that assurance of eternal life. You're here today and you have no hope for your life when you die. The Bible is the great authority. Jesus Christ says, it is appointed for a man to die once. Scriptures tell us, and then face the judgment. The good news is that Jesus was the substitutionary death, died in our place. See, death isn't natural. We were created to live forever. But because of sin entering the human race, the first Adam, all of us are subject to that penalty. But Jesus died. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And he rose from the grave. It's a fact of history. He conquered death so that anyone that would turn to him could have eternal life. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, he's not in your heart, but you'd like to know him. I'd love to pray with you today. Would you lift your hand up with mine? Say, that's me. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. God bless you. I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. How many other people today? You would say, Lord, this is me. Thank you in the back. The Lord sees that hand. Just lift your hand up. How many other people would be here today? Very quickly. I'm not going to pause or hold much longer. Maybe you need to rededicate your heart to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. Ask his forgiveness. You want to give your life to Jesus today? Join these that have lifted their hands. Last call. I'd see that hand and I would like to pray with you today. Thank you for that hand as well. God bless you. I'm going to pray right now. And if you raise your hand, in fact, church, I'd like us all to pray. Two, maybe three people this morning that have responded. I believe by the Holy Spirit to God's call to come to him. Will we all pray this prayer together? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me for my sin I confess I am a sinner and I need forgiveness Lord Jesus come into my heart into my life and make me new help me to live for you this day onwards in Jesus name Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I'd love to chat with you. We can have some prayer workers at the front come and say hello and we pray for you, with you, for the rest of the church. We should be the most hopeful people on planet Earth. Amen. Amen. If you've been caught up in this world and distracted and perplexed, can I encourage you? Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Hallelujah. God bless you as we sing. Amen.